real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, <laughs> actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself! to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong, and now from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. What a wonderful, wonderful crowd. Uh, Helen, you received a gift prior to our taping tonight. I sure did. I'm not sure if it was a gift or a bribe, J. Keith. What's going on there? Well, um, one of our contestants today uh, has a very large contingency of fans, and they've 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 made like team T-shirts. Jesse Thorne's team made T-shirts. <laughs> No, Kelly Who's Oh, Kelly Who's people. And they're wearing, they're always, it's, they're adorable. They're just like a big crew of people wearing Team Kelly t-shirts. And one was slipped to me before the show. Ooh. And, uh, and it's kind of a quandary because, uh, as you know, J. Keith, uh, Jesse Thorne is our boss. Right. And he didn't give me a t-shirt. Oh, interesting. So. You might defect to the Kelly Who Network. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, like, if Kelly wins, does that mean we're not going to have our show anymore? I don't know. There's one, one, another wonderful question to ask of our guests. Wow. Uh, speaking of t-shirts, I have something to uh, give you as well. Really? Oh, it's a day of gifts. It's a day of gifts. We just got our brand new Go Fact Yourself <laughs> t-shirts. It this is, one is for you, oh Helen. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. This in is the, so stylish. In the lady cut. Here's mine in the I need to go to the gym cut. Right here. Can we get this, a shot of that with our photographer? This is oh, so look at us. stylish. Uh, these are available for sale. Uh, you would think they'd be on our website. Maybe someday. Right now, they're on a website that makes the shirt. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it is uh, Topatoco, T-O-P-A-T-O-C-O.com. Wait, they're not on our website? They might. They're, you know, they're... Or at MaxFunStore.com. Yes, they are! The voice of God uh, showers down and tells us at MaxFunStore.com. But they're available. They're 100% cotton. Oh, they're so stylish. They're and stylish. They have, so they have our logo, the Go Fact Yourself logo on yeah. the front. And then on the back it says, a show that makes smart people feel dumb and then smart again. That's what you say at the beginning of every I know, show. I know. I've never had a t-shirt quote me before. <laughs> I, I, feel like I, I highly I, recommend it. I feel like I've made it. You have made it. I've been quoted on a t-shirt. Good job, Helen. This is just hopefully the first of a lot of merch that will be coming in the coming months. I'm, I'm going to be leaving here with so much swag. I like this. Yeah. Guys, if you come to the taping, please bring me swag. Yeah. I'll, I'll take swag without the H, but... Uh... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. He is the host of Bullseye on NPR, the co-host of the podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, the host of Judge John Hodgman, and the proprietor of the Maximum Fun Network, it's our boss, Jesse Thorne! Jesse Thorne! Jesse shaking hands. Hello. I did not bring swag, though, in my car. I mean, if you want me to go into my car, I have some Japanese fashion magazines that I just bought at the Japanese bookstore. So if wow. you want maybe a men's X, I could bring you an oily boy, men's fudge. 
What is an oily boy, dare I ask? Uh, it's a Japanese men's fashion magazine that is completely non-pornographic. Despite being called Oily Boy. Oily Boy. Fudge, uh, men's fudge is a spinoff of fudge. Fudge is a ladies' fashion magazine. I completely magazine. missed that one also. There's also another magazine, again, men's, non-pornographic. Men's fudge. Men's fudge. Jesse, I'm, I'm nervous that you're, you're visiting us at work. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody, look busy. <laughs> It's an I'm undercover nervous. boss situation yeah. that I've really bungled. <laughs> yes, yes. Jesse, you are very interested in men's fashion. You run a men's fashion blog. You have a, a men's fashion show called Put This On. How did you get into men's fashion? And as briefly as possible, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I think I moved to Los Angeles, and I was having these celebrities come over to my apartment in Koreatown to do interviews on Bullseye, which was then called The Sound of Young America. I realized that when I'm like coming down to meet someone in the lobby of my apartment building and they thought they were going to an NPR studio, <laughs> maybe me being dressed professionally would be marginally less terrifying. Mm -hmm. And was it? Mm, marginally, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think a little of this, a little of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's all true. I can't imagine, like, because your show is a very high-profile show on, on NPR, but I can imagine, like, celebrities, like, rolling up to your apartment in Koreatown and you're just, like, coming down in your flip-flops yeah. and your boxers. They'd be like, am I going to get murdered? Yeah. Is Follow-up yeah. question, do you murder people? <laughs> I rarely murder okay. people. You are all, you are always stylish, though, I will say. Thank you. That's very nice of you. And I, do you spend a lot of money on clothes? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> on Bullseye, you've gotten to interview people all different parts of the culture, authors and baseball players and musicians. Are there any that stand out to you as particularly meaningful? Yeah. Years and years ago, we had uh, the rock and roll star. I would call him the Mr. Rogers of rock and roll, Andrew W.K. on the show. Mm -hmm. My youngest brother was about nine, eight or nine years old, and he had a band at the time. Um, Wait, your nine-year-old brother had a band? Yeah, Total Annihilation. <laughs> and what was it called? Yeah, Total Annihilation. Oh, okay. <laughs> I missed that. And um, I played for Andrew one of my brother's songs that he'd recorded. I, the idea was that the segment was going to be like that my brother would get tips from Andrew W.K. And the first thing that Andrew said to my brother, who was sitting there in the college radio studio with me, you know, nine years old, was, Brendan, do you mind if I learn something from you? And I was like, oh. <laughs> and it was, it was like one of the sweetest things that's what ever happened. What did he learn? Yeah, what did he learn? From your brother. It was something about his singing style. My brother had a very distinctive <laughs> nine-year-old singing style yeah. at the time, yeah. I believe now they call that the total annihilation style. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you hear it. It's, I basically just call it the radio style or the hit song <laughs> style, yeah. On Bullseye, you interview a lot of people. You also did a show where you interviewed people about interviewing called The Turnaround. Why did you want to do that, and what, did you, what were some of the takeaways you got from that uh, series? I mostly just wanted to meet Larry King in real life. <laughs> I did it because I've been doing Bullseye now for almost 20 years, since wow. I was 19 years old. It was wow. my college radio show. I wasn't sure if what I had made up as the right way to do my show was actually the right way to do my show. And I thought if I was going to talk to people that I liked and admired who were great at interviewing, I might as well, you know, record it and put it out. So that other people who are in my position, people who, you know, might have fallen into journalism or, or were pursuing journalism but didn't have the opportunity to go to J school could get something out of it. 
there were people on the show that I was really like scared to talk to because I didn't know them, like mm-hmm. Terry Gross, who mm. obviously she would intimidate anyone. Um, just the sheer size. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's over four foot ten, wow. J. Keith. Yeah. Um, she also carries that gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, that would be awesome yeah. if just every Fresh Air interview just started with She's click, packing. click. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, let's Terry. do this, yeah. Gene Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> Terry, you can have that idea. There were also some kind of wild ones. Like I had uh, Jerry Springer on. And Jerry Springer actually told me that when he tapes his show, he does not know anything about what the show is about no. when he walks out on stage. That episode, he does not know what the topic of that episode is when he walks out on stage. He doesn't know if it's a who's the daddy stage. or if it's a, like your mom cheated on you with your boyfriend. He, he doesn't know any of that. He doesn't know who will punch who. <laughs> um, he's a really interesting guy. And Larry King, I went to like his trophy room in his Beverly Hills mansion where every surface is covered by a, I'm going to be honest, slightly low rent trophy. <laughs> Or he's got high rent trophies too, but mostly it's like you're like the American Peanut Butter Sandwich Association <laughs> broadcaster of the year. But also, like, he's a very lovely man. And what's really remarkable about him is that he is immediately present with you the second he sits down, like, in an absolute way. His mind is never somewhere else. You feel like you're there with someone who really cares about what you have to say and is really curious about it. And how does that compare to this experience? <laughs> I had forgotten you were there. <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to be part of the Maximum Fun family. It's wonderful to have you here, Mr. Jesse Thorne. Hey, Help. Jesse. No matter what happens today, please don't fire us. <laughs> or at least Helen. Uh, <laughs> Helen, against whom will Jesse be competing tonight? She is an actor known for her regular roles on Sunset Beach and Nash Bridges and for her appearances on Arrow, The Orville, and in X2, X-Men United. It's Miss Hawaii 1993, Kelly Hu! Kelly Hu! <laughs> Hello, Kelly! Hello! Kelly, we have never had a contestant come with, like, a giant posse wearing team t-shirts. I had, I had to bring my team here because I knew I was going to make an ass out of myself, and I just needed company. <laughs> Kelly, do you travel everywhere with these people? I do. I do. They are my peeps. And they follow me everywhere. Okay, so just to clarify, there's literally like 20 people in here wearing Team Kelly t-shirts. You didn't pay for the t-shirts. I did not. But that I will is the probably sign end of a good leader. Some... That, is, that is leadership. There we go. Then. Or a I'll, cult leader, at least. I'll, I'll probably end up paying somebody back. <laughs> I'm sure. Now, you and Helen are acquainted prior to this very moment. Yes. We're sisters. We are sisters. We're TV we're, sisters. We're TV pilot sisters. TV pilot that never got shown sisters. Right. Yeah. So nobody knows we're sisters. Failed TV pilot sisters. Yeah, that would be my first. But we met on an ABC pilot called the Jessica Gao Project. Correct. And we became fast friends. Yes. And now I feel like we're sisters in real life. Right? Soul sisters. Yeah. Because I like call you Korean advice. soul sisters. Because <laughs> I wasn't drinking at the time that we were shooting this pilot, and Kelly was right. like, oh, we got to stop that. I know. I was like, <laughs> girl, I don't know. And now look, we're in a brewery. 
what a wonderful influence she's been on right? your life, Helen. Uh, in addition to the, the on-camera work that Helen mentioned, you do a lot of voice work. Uh, people might recognize you from dozens and dozens of episodes of Phineas and Ferb. Yes. That's a great role. I love that. Disney, Disney, yes. Yeah. And I've noticed a lot of the stuff that you do both on camera and with the voices in the, the sci-fi and fantasy space. Is, are, are you a fan of that genre yourself? You know, I'm not a fan of anything oh. on TV or film. What? Really. I don't really? even watch myself. I'd I rather, recommend it. You're, you're pretty good. No. <laughs> I've, I've been watching clips all week. I'd I, I rather scoop my eyes out with a spoon than watch myself on TV really? or film. Yeah. My absolute worst nightmare if, is having to go to like a premiere and then to have to watch yourself in a theater full of people watching you with you. Oh. Wow. Oh. Oh. The worst, the worst, the worst. Yeah. Wait, but you don't, you're not a fan of like other things on TV or movies? No. <laughs> Helen really. is really hurt. Yeah. I know, right? H Helen, are you okay? Can we move on? I gotta come over and like bring my Netflix password. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Netflix we password. Actually, you what know do what? What do you use it for? No, 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 no. When Netflix first started, they gave all of the actors free passes, like free lifetime <gasps> Netflix passes. What? And then just like last year, the year before, I got a letter saying that was no longer, and that I would start having to pay for Netflix. I was what? like, wait, what happened to lifetime free? Yeah. I've, I've I've got yeah. some bad news. Netflix knows you're going to die. Uh, yeah. yeah that's, that's the only explanation. Wow. No, we're all going to die, everybody. Right? And you're going to pay for it. Yes, absolutely. I want to talk about the X-Men movie that Helen mentioned. You've got, you had some amazing action scenes with, with Hugh Jackman. How much of the actual fighting and whatnot were you doing? Because I know you're, you are trained in martial arts. I am trained. I do a lot of the fighting in that. But, you know, things like getting tossed about, like crashing into glass and things, they don't want actors to do. Mm. Yeah, because... Was that disappointing to you, or was that a, a sweet relief? Oh, are you kidding? I don't want to be smashed into glass. <laughs> yeah, that's for crazy stunt people. Oh, okay, very good, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Helen mentioned, uh, of course, that you were in Miss Hawaii in 1993. You also uh, were a Miss Teen USA. I how, was. How, how do you look back on, on your time in, in the pageant world? It's so surreal. Like, it, I feel like that's a whole other lifetime, because pageants mm. are, like, such a different world. I ran in the pageant because I wanted to model in Japan, and I was mm. told that if I got a title, mm -hmm. any kind of title, like Miss Pickle or Miss, you know, <laughs> Coconut <laughs> Island, whatever. Admiral. <laughs> that I would be promoted. They would be able to promote me better in Japan. So I ran in the first pageant that I found that did not have a talent. And, <laughs> yeah, and that was the Miss Hawaii Teen USA pageant. So Wait, I, did, you didn't have to like play a flute or? No, I didn't have to come up with a stupid talent. Oh. Yeah, and um, you know, most most girls do like the sign language thing, like like dancing to sign with sign language. Oh, okay. I didn't have to do any of that. So this was just 100% pure objectification of women. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt the proceedings, but you said most girls do the dancing with sign language thing. <laughs> As though that's a universal thing we would all understand. You have no idea of how many competitions mm -hmm. are like, they have this like sign dance, like sign language dancing. Yeah. What? Yes. And then it's like Wait, hula, so but with sign language. I've never seen and this, are you nor like do I wish to. Are you actually communicating they words? Are. They are, yeah. That's yes. not, they are, not me. Yeah, that's not the Kelly Who kind of a no, style. No, no, yeah. no. And a lot of xylophone players all of a sudden. Oh. <laughs> like, who the hell takes xylophone classes? Xylophone's easy to pick up. Yeah, right? just 
take a glass down at the rec center. Obviously. <laughs> I was just in Maui as you you were. I know. I know. She was, we were in Hawaii and not at the same time, I which used was to a live bummer. In Maui. But the condo that we were in had a ukulele. A no, a, an ukulele hanging of off did. of the just like just hanging out there. And so my sister picks up the ukulele, punches a freaking YouTube tutorial, and is like ten minutes later playing the ukulele. It's that easy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. wow, I'm so underimpressed by ukulele players now. <laughs> but it's probably the same with xylophone. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Maybe. Like you could probably like punch up a YouTube tutorial and like be able to play the xylophone in like five minutes. Right. But I, you were I, like, you didn't I, even have time for is, that. When you're when you're in a in a t- talent competition like a pageant or something, you only have to learn one song. Ah. Right. Right. So you can spend eight hours a day on one song. Right. Did you consider any of the catalog of Total Annihilation? <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to mention that you and I have in common, uh, you, we both have run the Honolulu Marathon. Wait, you ran Honolulu? I completed the Honolulu Marathon. I would not say that I ran it all the way. Well, neither did I. I jogged it. Okay, I yes. jogged. I jogged what some of it. Time? I walked. It was, um, well, we've got a lot to get to in the show tonight. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, Ms. Kelly Ho. <laughs> All right, uh, we asked each of you, Kelly and Jesse, to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you some expertise. Jesse, you chose the city of San Francisco, the San Francisco Giants baseball team, oh, and the hip hop group Dungeon Family. <laughs> Correct. Whereas, Kelly, you chose Hawaiian food, chocolate making, and dog training. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> I am not an expert in anything. I just figured I'd, I'd pick topics that I would like to know about. Okay. Yes. We'll see how that strategy okay. pays off for you. Uh, <laughs> later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of these topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, Murder. Ooh. First up in murder, <laughs> Jesse. Jesse, your question comes from a listener, Leora Saul of Los Angeles, who I believe is in our audience tonight. Leora, are you here? Yes, she is. Thank you so Hi, much, Leora. Leora. Uh, listeners, if you'd like Hold to... Hold your applause. We'll see till after. <laughs> <laughs> well... That, that very nicely segues into my encouraging our listeners. If you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to GoFactorPod.com and click on Get Involved. You don't have to show up in our audience, but we always appreciate it. All right, Jesse, in the topic of murder, they both might help solve a murder, but what is the difference between a coroner and a medical examiner? A wow. coroner and a medical examiner. The difference between a coroner and a medical examiner. I'm going to say that a coroner is the person who goes to get the body, mm-hmm. and a medical examiner is the one who cuts it open and does an autopsy. That is your answer. All right. Uh, we have Jesse. I'm surprised there was not even a tiny hint of applause from the audience. Oh! Uh, what's, a, what's the applause line there? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's I right. should have ended with, and cuts open the body. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, we have natural a natural applause. We have line. a lot of very anti-autopsy people yeah. in the audience as well. That's what Michael Bloomberg is closing all his speeches with <laughs> on the campaign trail. All right, we have Jesse's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Kelly, what do you think? You know what? I think the coroner actually does both, right? Mm. I think the coroner probably examines the body as well. Okay, so the difference might be what? Um, a driver's license. 
like a driver's license class, like what you need to get a driver <laughs> motorcycle or a to truck. Drive the car. Uh huh. And the other one. Which one is just which, stays in the office? Which where one the dead gets to drive the car are. then in this scenario? Yeah, the coroner. The coroner drives the car, and the medical examiner just has to wait for the body to get there. Yeah. The medical examiner can walk or take the bus. Yes. Right. I remember, you know, I've seen a lot worse on LA City buses than, than dead bodies <laughs> and medical examiners. Uh, all right, well, this segment is getting rigor mortis. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judge's table for the facts. Here are the facts. A coroner is an elected position, which often requires no education in the medical field. Oh, great. It is considered a judicial position, even though it usually doesn't require a law degree either. All you need is the most votes. A medical examiner is an appointed position and almost always requires the person holding the position to have an MD after their name and usually further specialties in pathology or forensics. Yeah, so nothing about driving or busing. Uh, wait, wait, wait. You said almost always has to have a medical license. So not always? I guess you can cut a body open without an MD. Yeah, well, I mean, you could be like a podiatrist. <laughs> That's an MD. <laughs> you could have worked at the meat counter at the grocery yeah. store. Wow. Ca cause of death, corns. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, once again, we're all going to die. Uh, okay. By the way, some of our listeners might remember the old Jack Klugman TV series, Quincy M.E., where the yes. M.E. stood for medical examiner because he played a medical examiner, a medical examiner who, for some reason, lived on a boat. <laughs> Helen, what does that mean as far as our points go? I'm going to say zero points for both I of you. I think so as well. Yeah, okay. uh, still a very valiant effort. Mm -hmm. Applause for zero points. That might be a first. Yes. All right. Up next in murder. Kelly, while both can help you murder someone, what is the difference between a knife and a dagger? A knife and a dagger. Oh, does it have only maybe one sharp edge? And maybe a dagger has two? Is that your answer? I guess so. <laughs> okay. The t-shirt crowd has... Feeling, uh, feeling confident. She's right. ending yes. strong with that All right, uh, Jesse, we don't know yet if she's correct. What do you think? Wow, well, that, she, that was going to be my answer. So was it? I'm, yeah, I mean, oh. uh, look, I'm not good at this either. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but since I won't get any points if she's right, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to say, well, a knife is for Dyson and uh, <laughs> daggers for stabbing. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Uh, all right, well, this... this so poetic, too, yeah, with quite, a poetic quite. flourish. All right, well, this segment isn't quite cutting it. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. <laughs> you got to groan there a little bit. I love it. I'll bring it on. Here are the facts. A knife usually only has one sharpened cutting edge. The other side of the blade is called the spine and is not sharpened, so you can safely apply pressure with your hand as you cut through things. A knife is primarily used as a tool. A dagger has a sharpened cutting edge on both sides, and it's primarily used as a weapon. That's right. Ooh. There you go. Uh, also, of course, you can stare daggers at someone, but you can't stare knives at them. And, and believe me, I've tried. <laughs> Helen, what does that mean as far as our points go? I'm going to say one point for Kelly. Yeah, because you did get, you did get the difference between uh, the one sharpened edge and two sharpened edges, mm -hmm. but you didn't get tool versus weapon. Mm -hmm. oh. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm going to say one point for Kelly. One point for Kelly, yeah. very good. I'll take it. What is our score at the end of that round, Helen? After the first round, Jesse Thorne has zero points, and Kelly, who has one point? 
Woohoo! But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. It's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. I listen to reading glasses because Bria and Mallory have great tips. If you're a comics reader and you want to use a library-connected app, you can try out Hoopla. I listen for the author interviews. I'm mad at myself that I waited as long as I did to start reading Joan Didion. They give me reading advice I didn't even know I needed. If you go in person to an event and go up to an author or a filmmaker or anybody and tell them what they you don't like about their work, you're a trash baby. I, look, I understand you didn't like Heroes Season 3. That's fine. I, like, I don't... <laughs> actually need to know that information i'm bria grant and i'm mallory o'mara we're reading glasses and we solve all your bookish problems every thursday on maximum fun welcome back to go fact yourself where our score is jesse thorne with zero points and kelly who with one point once again here's j keith van stratton thank you helen Jesse Thorne, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the city of San Francisco, the San Francisco Giants baseball team, and the hip-hop group Dungeon Family. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about the city of San Francisco. I'm a native San Franciscan, uh, and like all native San Franciscans, I'm really insufferable about it, JK. <laughs> yeah, I really won't shut my yap. I see. And it's what kind about of true? Growing up in San Francisco is kind of like the Harvard. You know, like when you go to Harvard and everyone has to mention they went to Harvard within forty-two <laughs> seconds yeah. of you meeting them. That's like San Francisco. Uh, but a lot of people who live in a place don't necessarily know a lot about it. Why do you know so much about San Francisco, and what do you love about it? Well, you know, San Francisco is a remarkable place because it is, uh, you know, it's a classic port city. It's a gathering of people from all over the world. It is a distinctly cityish city. It's very urban, mm -hmm. but it's also extraordinarily beautiful and quite manageable in scale, especially physical scale. You know, like I, it's rare a day passes where I'm not driving across Los Angeles, cursing its horrific sprawl, you know what I mean? <laughs> and just thinking, like, I could go from any place in San Francisco to any other place in San Francisco in seven miles. Yeah, and you'd yeah. get a workout. Yeah. I have a regular car, not a Flintstones car. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, if that topic didn't endure you to our Los Angeles audience, I'm sure this next one will. You also said you know a lot about the San Francisco Giants. Here's, here's the thing, Jake Keith. Yeah. My entire profession is turning the things I'm nerdy about into yeah. my job. And on right. this program, you can't just say the things that are your job. So all the stuff is, that I'm actually really a nerd about, except for baseball, is stuff that I can't choose for this show. So you would have chosen fudge if given the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> also, Jay Keith, I happen to be artsy. Oh, no, I noticed that. Good. Yeah. Well, tell us about your love of the Giants, which I can attest to because we actually went to a Giants-Angels game. Yeah, you're an Angels fan. We had a great time. Basically, all I did was like read books about baseball, go to baseball games, which I would go to sometimes by myself on the bus. And I'm talking about like as like an 11-year-old. <laughs> um, would you see the corner on the bus or the medical examiner? <laughs> <laughs> there probably were a few coroners on that bus. So what era of the Giants is, is your favorite? Well, I think, you know, it's when I fell in love, so that would be the late 1980s. The 1989 team with Roger Craig and Hum Baby and I Feel Good was really my era. Will Clark was my favorite player as a kid. So it is those late 1980s teams that are, that are closest to my heart. Excellent. Uh, you also said you know a lot about the hip-hop group Dungeon Family. Yeah, uh, the Dungeon Family are the group that the Goody Mob and Outkast belong to, mm -hmm. and... 
I love all their records, including some of the weird ones. There's one called A SWAT Healing Ritual by Witch Doctor. And Witch Doctor is a rapper, but he barely raps. He more says weird things in a kind of cult leader voice oh. over kind of spacey instrumentals. And that might be my favorite one of all of them. <laughs> and have you become one of his subjects? Yes, yes, I'm 100%. You know, I booked him on my show one time, and he didn't show up. Oh, oh, he's flaky. That's too bad. Mm-hmm. So cult leader of him. All right, so to summarize, Jesse, you said you know a lot about the city of San Francisco, the San Francisco Giants, and the hip-hop group Dungeon Family. Today we're going to quiz you about the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> now, the Giants have been rather successful in the uh, 2000s. Have you gotten to go to any of the World Series games? I didn't. I did go to uh, game six of the NLCS that they lost to the Cubs the year the Cubs went to the World Series. Yeah. It was the first time I had ever been to a playoff baseball game because I grew up pretty poor. So I was like, I had a friend who had tickets and I, I bought a plane ticket to go <gasps> see the game. I was mm-hmm. like, yes, look at me. I'm the king of the world. Wait, and a plane then, ticket costs less than a ticket to the game? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, especially to San Francisco. Yeah. From Los yeah. Angeles to San Francisco is a $49 plane ticket. So wow. okay. I dropped a hundo and, and slept on my mom's floor and it, <laughs> it was relatively affordable. The glamour of the postseason. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you actually got to talk about the Giants on our favorite baseball podcast recently. Oh, that this was year. My, to be a sportscaster was like my lifelong mm. dream. You and I both love the podcast Effectively Wild. It's a baseball podcast for like heavy duty baseball nerds. Uh, I got to co-host an episode that was a season preview of the San Francisco Giants. More people sent me congratulatory emails about appearing on a baseball nerd podcast than watched the television show I hosted. Oh. <laughs> that's like it, that's like if and when I ever get cast on Star Trek Picard. Or you guys I all get, know. If I get cast in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, the one where they go to San Francisco. Oh. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the San Francisco Giants to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Kelly, do listen closely, because if Jesse answers incorrectly, you can steal. By the way, Kelly, how much do you know about the San Francisco Giants? Less than zero. I didn't even know that was baseball. Okay. (laughs) Jesse, don't take this the wrong way. I'm kind of hoping you get one wrong because I want to see what happens with Kelly. I think I probably will. My my mind is a sieve, J.K. Well, let's see see how you do. Here's question number one. Your topic is the San Francisco Giants, but the team did not start out there. Before moving to San Francisco in 1958, where in the East did the Giants play? New York. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, of course. One point for Jesse. Or do you want me to say the polo grounds, Jay Keith? Mm, only, only if you want to seem extra... Braggy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun fact, which may be illuminating to Kelly especially, the National Football League has a team called the Giants that still represents that city, even though they actually play their home games in New Jersey. Question number two. Jesse, of the 20 players in baseball's Hall of Fame whose primary team was the Giants, who was the only one of them to play for both the New York Giants and the San Francisco Giants? Wow. Uh, I guess Willie Mays. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Willie Mays to say, hey, kid. He actually won league MVP in both cities. Very rare feat. You're two for two. Here's question number three. One of the most famous moments in Giants history was a 1989 World Series game that was postponed because of an earthquake. By what name does the U.S. Geological Survey refer to this earthquake? The Loma Prieta earthquake? Ellen? That is correct. Three for three, Jesse Thorne. Okay, let's ask more questions about profound traumas of my childhood. (laughs) 
Do you have any further things that remind me of me crying in a heap in a corner of my mom's house? Question number four. The Giants now play their home games at Oracle Park, which used to be called AT&T Park, which used to be called SBC Park, which used to be called Pacific Bell Park. But before the Giants moved there in 2000, they played in Candlestick Park, which changed its name for a couple years before the Giants left. What was the official full name of the ballpark when the team last played there? Three com? Uh, more information, I think. Three com stadium. <laughs> Three com ballpark at Candlestick Point. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. We'll give it to you. <laughs> the actual name is Three com Park at Candlestick Point. Very, very wow. good. Uh, wow. the the naming rights were bought by a company whose name stands for Computer Communication Compatibility. Those are three comms. Candlestick, of course, was still in the official name. The, Jesse. Gi the Giants, Shake Heath, built that. So here's a fun fact. Please. The Giants built that stadium uh, because they went to the Candlestick Point area, which at the time I think was a state park, and they said, this is a frozen nightmare. Let's build our <laughs> stadium here. Let's build a bowl where the wind swirls and all of the trash consistently circulates onto the field. I actually have two pins that I earned as a child uh, called Quad de Candlestick. And those Quad de Candlestick pins were given to every fan who uh, attended an extra inning night game at Candlestick Park because the conditions were so brutal. What is that word? It, qua? How do you mean? Qua, like, as, like in the cross, as in the cross of Candlestick, like ah, a, like a war medal. Very good. It was Wait, you giant... got a war medal because it was so cool? Cold and windy yeah. at yeah, the it was park? A, it's a pit, little orange man with a Giants logo that has snow falling off of it. <laughs> well, Jesse, thank you for your service. Question number five. You have a chance to go five for five. There are two Hall of Fame pitchers who you probably don't associate with the Giants who spent only their final season as San Francisco Giants, one in 1965 and one in 2009. Name them. So I'm going to say Randy Johnson is the latter-day one. Mm -hmm. Um, you do have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. Yeah, give me that hint, baby. Helen, <laughs> <laughs> Helen, how about that first hint? They're both lefties, and one of them is mostly associated with the Braves. Warren Spawn. So again, the answers together are? Warren Spawn and Randy Johnson. Helen? That is correct. Jesse Thorne is five wow. for five. Didn't you give you a chance to sweep in? I'm sure you knew all of those also, though, all Kelly. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was so ready. Kelly, yours is going to be Hawaiian food, and uh, I'm going to have a chance to steal. I'm just going to be like, uh, pass the poi, mahalo. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, you've obviously done very well in that category, but now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing in an expert to assess your response. In addition to being admired for their players, the Giants also have one of the most admired broadcast teams in all of sports, with a history of fantastic people calling their games for TV and radio. In fact, three Giants broadcasters, including one who still calls their games, have received the industry's top honor, the Ford Frick Award from Baseball's Hall of Fame. For up to three points, name these three people. John Miller is the one who still calls their games. Lon Simmons is one of them, and Russ Hodges. All right, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight via phone from Moss Beach, California, is a broadcaster whose many accolades include the Ford Frick Award from the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's the voice of the Giants, John Miller. John Miller! Oh. <laughs> 
John, are you there? Can you hear us? I'm, I'm here, and I'm so impressed with uh, Jesse, who is obviously a real Giants fan and who has gotten every <laughs> question correct. Except there was one part that it wasn't a question, and, and Jesse, I'm so sorry to have to, uh, to kind of rain on your parade here, but uh, the game that you attended, the postseason game of 2016, was not game six of the league championship Ooh. series, but rather game four of the National League division series when the Cubs scored four runs in the top of the ninth inning to come from behind and beat the Giants to eliminate them that year on their way to uh, – Winning the World Series. John, thank you for correcting my anecdote. <laughs> Apparently, the thing I got wrong is the one thing that actually happened in my actual life. <laughs> you know, J.K., yeah. I, I have met John Miller before. Tell us about that. John Miller would have no idea of this, but uh, when I was a teenager, like all hip-slash-cool teenagers, I was a member of the Society for American Baseball Research, <laughs> or SABRE. Sure. And uh, I would go, just like I would take the bus to the ballpark by myself as an 11-year-old, I would go to their conferences on airplanes by myself as a 16- and 17-year-old. Wow! And uh, John Miller spoke at one of the Sabre conventions, and, uh, you know, I, I shook my hand, shook his hand and uh, told him I admired his work. I, I definitely remember that, because I'm sure you were the only one that day. <laughs> <laughs> And, and what's it like, Jesse, to have one of your heroes uh, correct you? Uh, it's, it's a real thrill, Jake. <laughs> All right, well, John, let's go through some of your uh, your bona fides for our audience here who may or may not be familiar with your work. Uh, now, first of all, it took you a long time to get to the Giants as a broadcaster. You started in 1974 in Oakland. The game, of course, has changed a lot since then. How has calling a game changed since 1974? Well, not a whole lot about it has changed. Uh, the, I've changed because I was 22 years old when I got hired to do the Oakland Athletics Games in 74, wow. which was very exciting because I grew up just a, a little bit south of Oakland, and uh, although I was a great Giants fan because they got to the Bay Area before the Athletics, I became an A's fan too. I was a fan of both teams, and then all of a sudden there I was. They were the best team in baseball at that time. Uh, the year I got there, uh, they won their third consecutive World Series title. I it wasn't that I was very well paid by the uh, uh, rather penurious owner of the athletics, Charlie Finley. But uh, I, even then, I was probably overpaid because I should have paid them to, to learn all that baseball uh, from that, that great team. I was just going to say, so growing up as a Giants fan, what does it mean to you to be the voice of the Giants now for over 20 years? Well, it, it was uh, so cool because I loved the Giants, and I grew up watching Willie Mays and Willie McCovey and Orlando Cepeda, Juan Marichal, all the great Hall of Famers. Uh, I used to listen to, as as Jesse so accurately described them as the Hall of Famers, uh, Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons, the great voices of the Giants, and uh, they taught me the game and the Giants' history. Uh, Russ Hodges had been the Giants' voice in New York and was there for one of the most famous games in American sports history, not just baseball history. Uh, the, the the Bobby Thompson home run game, sure. the miracle of Coogan's Bluff at the old Polo Grounds, when the Giants came from 13 and a half games behind the first place Dodgers with only 44 games left in the season, uh, tied them on the last day and then beat them in the playoff. And in the bottom of the ninth, Bobby Thompson hit a three-run homer. What was his famous call at that moment? The, yeah, the Giants win, win the, the pennant. pennant. The, Giants the Giants win the pennant. pennant. The Giants win the pennant. They're going crazy. They're going, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a famous call. And I really, uh, one of the great 
exciting things for me was in 2014, the Giants were on their way to the World Series for the third time in uh, five years, and they beat the St. Louis Cardinals to win the pennant on a home run, uh, the first time that had happened for the Giants since Bobby Thompson in 1951. So I had my own uh, Giants <laughs> win the pennant uh, moment. But it was a guy named Travis Ishikawa sure. who uh, hit the home run, who was a utility player who had uh, thought about retiring from baseball in that same season. And uh, uh, and the only reason he was playing in the postseason was because he was a first baseman, but it looked like he could play left field, and they needed – they didn't have a left fielder. They went into the postseason without a left fielder. So uh, he played the last weekend and really didn't have any difficult chances out there. And they asked Bruce Bochy, the manager, well, you think we can use him out there? And he says, uh, close enough. Let's put him on the team. So, uh, and then he made baseball history with his uh, dramatic home run to win the pennant for the Giants. You've witnessed a lot of baseball history, and you've called a lot of uh, final moments of World Series games you know a lot of kids grow up wanting to be baseball players imagining you know hitting the home run in the in the world series did you dream of calling world series games or calling the final moment of championships yes oh wait i'm sorry was that question for john that question was for john miller yes (laughs) i was just like jesse and just like a lot of baseball fans as kids that's what that's what we want to do unlike jesse and a lot of other young guys uh, who grew up and moved on to uh, adult wishes and, and <laughs> careers, I never gave it up and was fortunate enough to actually be able to make my living broadcasting baseball. So I saw my first game in 62, and I sat in the upper deck with my dad, and I could see down into the broadcast booth, the Giants booth and the other team's booth. And I remember watching the broadcaster from the other team, and he described the pitch, you know, curveball outside, ball one. And then he grabbed a big handful of French fries. <laughs> and he ate like 14 French fries all in, in one bite. And then while he was still chewing on the fries, the next pitch came in, and he didn't miss a beat. He said, there's a curve outside, ball two. And then he grabbed a cup full of whatever, and he took a big pull on that cup. And as a 10-year-old, I sat there and said to myself, that is the life for me. <laughs> What a great story. <laughs> I have to ask you about one thing. Uh, you've called, of course, World Series, no-hitters, some great moments in baseball history. But one of your most iconic calls was just a plain old regular season game in 2003 with Ruben Rivera on the bases. Can you describe a little bit what happened and what was the call, the famous call that you ended up making? Well, I'm, uh, I've been trying to forget about that ever since. Oh, I'm but, sorry. Uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to get into it if it's, if it's an ill-feeling uh, point. No, no, no. It, it's all right. The thing that happened was it was the bottom of the ninth inning, the Giants playing Arizona. They were the top two teams in the division. So every time they played, it was a big game in terms of the pennant race. And it was a tie game, and Ruben Rivera is the possible winning run. He's at first base, bottom of the ninth. If he scores, the game's over. Uh, Marquise Grissom was the guy. He hit a drive in the right center field, and the Diamondbacks' right fielder kind of misjudged the ball, screwed it up, and it sailed over his glove, and it's rolling out to the 421. Ruben Rivera is a very fast runner, so he's going to score easily to end the game. You know, I'm very dramatically trying to describe the moment. It's over his glove. It's rolling to the wall. Then I looked down to see how Ruben's doing, and he looked like he was running circles around second base. And then at one point, he starts running back toward first base. Uh, Marquise Grissom, who's on his way to second, is screaming at him and waving at him. Turn around. Go back, you idiot. And then he starts, he cuts across the infield toward third, and the third base coach screams at him. He's got to go back and retouch second base. So he goes back. And by that time, it's about the fourth time he's been to second. 
second base on this trip. <laughs> and now he's heading for third. The throw is coming in, and he's going to be out by, by 10 feet. But the throw takes it in between hop, hits the third baseman and the sternum, and ricochets over to short. So like a miracle, even though he hasn't scored, he's at least safe. And, they, you know, there's nobody out that can still win the ballgame. And then almost as if he just did not feel right about being safe after such bad base running, <laughs> he jumped up and he headed for the plate. And now he was thrown out by 15 feet. The thing I feel badly about was described as being, and that is the worst base running in the history of the game. <laughs> and uh, and I, the feel, I feel badly because I, I was outraged and, uh, you know, because the, the game was over. And now all of a sudden there's one out and he, he's, he hasn't scored the runners a second. And the game ended up going about 17 innings. They finally did win the game. Was that a case of maybe the, the little kid Giants fan in you coming out as the professional broadcaster? I think it sounds like it was a case of John just being mad he didn't get to go home early. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I just, you know, I guess I was uh, used to seeing guys who know what they're doing on the field. Right there. And, and I felt back as uh, the, the broadcaster's place is not to get outraged and personally offended. It's just to describe the moment. But, uh, yeah, people have not forgotten it, that's for sure. I, th- I think it was very satisfying as a viewer because I think you were saying something that people were feeling. And it was very satisfying to have that articulated in that way. But you, but, but well, certainly, that, that could you, be. yeah, you certainly will be remembered for much more than that. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Jesse. We wanted to know who are the three Giants broadcasters, including one who still calls for the games, who have received the Ford Frick Award from Baseball's Hall of Fame. Helen, what was Jesse's first answer? John Miller. And uh, Mr. Miller? Yes, that's Yes, he did. Correct. He won it. That's a point for Jesse. What was the second answer that Jesse gave us, Helen? Jesse said Lon Simmons. And Mr. Miller? Lon Simmons, one of the all-time greats. That is absolutely correct. Another point for Jesse. And finally, what was Jesse's last answer? Jesse said Russ Hodges. And Mr. Miller? One of the all-time great voices of the game, Russ Hodges, absolutely correct. A perfect score. A perfect score for Jesse Thorne. Uh, And Jesse, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to uh, Mr. Miller while we have him here? Well, you know, John, I have now had nearly a 20-year career in radio and television broadcasting myself, and I don't think I would have had that career if it weren't for your work and that of your uh, predecessor, Hank Greenwald. And uh, so I just want to thank you. I still love listening to you on the radio several times a week during the baseball season. Well, thanks very much. And, and Hank Greenwald is another guy who I think deserves to have won that Ford Frick Award. And, uh, and my, my partners now are Dwayne Kuyper, Mike Kruko, who are outstanding. Uh, also, I'd like to see them win that award. So the, the Giants have a great history as a franchise in Major League Baseball, great players. And as uh, uh, JT said it earlier on, a great tradition of uh, outstanding broadcast talent. Well, John Miller just said my name. Yeah, that was very exciting. Mr. Miller, if people want to find out more about you or your work, uh, where can they find you? Well, uh, I I think uh, it would be pretty easy to to find it, but I'll be (laughs) at spring training in Scottsdale February the 23rd is the first Cactus League game for the Giants. The pitchers and catchers report about 11 days before that, and then the 2020 baseball season will get underway. And I'm hoping my new goal in life is for Kelly Hu to see a game and uh, enjoy it and learn about the game because I think that's one thing that's probably missing from her life that she needs and would benefit from. Kelly, what do you-
do you think? You're gonna take John up on his offer? It sounds like a lot to learn. A lot of numbers. <laughs> well, but you know what? I'm Asian. I can do that. <laughs> All right. It was an honor to have Speak you join. Speak for this. yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> John Miller, it was an honor to have you join us. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful off-season and a great 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, Ford Frick Award winner, John Miller. Thank you. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that point-scoring round, Jesse Thorne has eight points, and Kelly, who has one point with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Kelly about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Jesse and Kelly will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. I'm Travis McElroy. I'm Courtney Enlow. I'm Brent Black, and we're the hosts of Trends Like These. Trends Like These is an internet news show where we take the stories trending on social media and go beyond the headlines. We'll give you the actual facts of the story and not just the knee-jerk reactions. Plus, we end every episode with a ray of hope that we call the Wi-Fi of the week. So join us every Friday on Maximum Fun. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Trends Like These, real-life friends talking internet trends. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Jesse Thorne with eight points and Kelly Who with one point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Kelly Who, of your many interests, you said you know a lot about Hawaiian food, chocolate making, and dog training. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about Hawaiian food. Well, I, I'm from Hawaii, and I like to eat, mm-hmm. so that's kind of why I chose that topic. Do you, do you make Hawaiian food yourself, or is all no. food you make, by definition, Hawaiian food? Because it's, because it's made by a Hawaiian? Yes. Yeah, I guess if you put spam in it, then it's Hawaiian. <laughs> it becomes Hawaiian. Can I tell you something about my recent, my very recent trip to Maui? What? Tell me. So I don't know if you guys know, but I quit eating animals with four legs about two, three years ago, and but I'm Korean and also spent a lot of time in Hawaii, so so I'm obsessed with spam. I was on a mission to find turkey spam musubi. I have turkey spam in my cupboard. I'm totally giving it to you. Because <laughs> you don't want it. Because there's like a 15-year shelf life, and I think I've only had it for like two. You bought it in 2008. It's nearing its end. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, I'm As done. all we are. We all are nearing our end, even the yes. can of spam. Uh, so Kelly, what, what are some of your favorite Hawaiian foods? I don't really eat four legs anymore either, mm. unless I have to. <laughs> uh, but um, Kalua pig is always a favorite. Mm-hmm. Squid luau, which looks a little bit like diarrhea, mm. but tastes amazing. Mm. Uh, it tastes better than diarrhea that you've much had. Much better than okay. diarrhea. Yeah. On a scale of, you know. But, um, and poi. I love poi. poi. You do? I do. I know it's not a favorite of most tourists, mm-hmm. um, but it, I grew up on it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's home food for me. Right. All right, you also said you know a lot about chocolate making. Uh, yeah, enough. I like to eat chocolate. <laughs> you told us specifically making chocolate. I, I, I also have made chocolate in the past. What Ooh. kind of chocolate do you make? Truffles and bonbons and things like that. Wow, you just decided one day, I'm going to make chocolate. Yes. <laughs> wow. I've been obsessed with chocolate ever since you know, I was a child. We can't like eating chocolate. I'm trying yes. to get to the making part. Okay, okay. okay. And, so, and so I took a chocolate making class. Oh, oh okay. There okay. you go. Right. Yes. And so I started making chocolates. And, and how then, do you do when you make them? How uh, do they come out? Okay. Better than diarrhea? <laughs> better. A little bit better than diarrhea. <laughs> All right. Great. Uh, finally, Kelly, you said you know a lot about dog training. I have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> that you have trained? That you have trained, maybe? <laughs> 
Well, a long time ago, she's 17 and a half. She's still hanging in there. Okay. Mushu, mushu. So you have trained her to live. I've trained her to live. I think that is probably the key right. thing that you want to pass on to an animal. Yes, yes. Yeah. But I figured um, I might soon be up for another dog. Mm-hmm. And I might need to learn some, some mm-hmm. things about dog training. Oh, Mushu, cover your ears. I know. No, we're going for 20. 20 years, Mushu, yeah. 20 years. Yeah, so- yeah. Kelly, when you say that you know a lot about dog training, <laughs> you're really describing an imagined future you. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, well, we'll see how that affects your uh, tr- quiz today. Oh, because uh, it's all about dog training, we'll isn't see. it? We'll see. Kelly, to summarize, you said you know a lot about Hawaiian food, chocolate making, and dog training. Today, we're going to quiz you about chocolate making. Oh. Chocolate making. Okay. Which... Which, to my understanding, is something you do not want to give to a dog. No. No. Yeah. All right. Right. Good. You don't want to or combine you get two of those interests. Or you get <laughs> diarrhea, which is not as good as turkey spam. No. Uh, when's the last time you made chocolate? Oh, gosh. It's been years. It's been years. Did you bring any tonight for us? Do you want a T-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> Just ahead, we'll enlist the help of a bona fide expert in their topic with our three-part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about chocolate making each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints for any of these five questions. Jesse, do listen closely because you can steal if Kelly gets any wrong. By the way, Jesse, how much do you know about chocolate making? Uh, chocolate is a migraine trigger for me. Uh, <laughs> and my migraines are entirely debilitating, so it's basically the last thing I would ever make. All right. So about as, mu- as much as I know about baseball. Okay. Well, we'll right. see if Kelly gives you a chance, as you certainly did not give her one. Uh, here is question number one for Kelly Who about chocolate making. Unfortunately, chocolate doesn't grow on trees, but its main ingredient does. What is the common name of the tree, whose name is almost an anagram of cocoa, that produces the beans that give us chocolate? Cacao. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. That's also the sound it makes when one of Kelly's characters punches someone. (laughs) (laughs) Cacao! Right. Uh, Fun fact, while the cacao tree is native to Central America, today well over half of our chocolate comes from trees grown in Africa. You're one for one. Here's question number two. When you cut open most raw cacao beans, what color is the center? White. The flesh is white. Helen? That is not no, correct. No, I'm terribly sorry. Jesse, with a chance to steal. Gonna say red. Helen? Not correct. Not correct, but we appreciate the confidence. It is another color. It is another color. <laughs> uh, no, uh, the actual color are purple. It's actually purple or lavender inside. The inside uh, center of the bean is purple or lavender. Wow. That's oh. what I was told. Don't, yeah, uh, don't T-shirt yell at me. Uh, okay. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with question number three. Once a cacao bean has been fermented, dried, roasted, and shelled, it's broken up into small pieces. What are those pieces called? Nibs. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> she said nibs. <laughs> also my favorite Japanese menswear magazine. <laughs> Gotta get them nibs. Men's nibs. Men's nibs. <laughs> Uh, fun fact, there was Shoot a brand nibs. of candy called Nibs, which is not chocolate, and it feels very deceptive to me. Mm. Question number four. After you have your Nibs, you need to grind them. This creates two products. Name one of them. Cocoa butter. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Cocoa butter. Do you know the other, by the way? 
solids. Cocoa powder, cocoa, cocoa powder, powder, which is a solid, and either way you got it right. That's another point for Kelly Who. By the way, cacao is called cocoa once it's processed. Also, white chocolate contains cocoa butter, but not cocoa powder. Oh. Or good taste. <laughs> <laughs> How would you know? You don't eat it. I can, I've eaten white chocolate. It's horrible. I I've can. eaten chocolate in my life. I oh, I see. Right. It's great. That's why everyone loves it. <laughs> right. White chocolate is horrible chocolate. Is, is, are you, are you, uh, is it only the cacao, the, the, the dark part, that, that gives you the migraines? My cocoa under- butter is in everything. Yeah, my understanding is it has both caffeine and some other things that are like caffeine, which make it... Chocolate is actually one of the most, if not the most, uh, common migraine trigger. Oh. It, it used to be for me as well. And yeah. red wine. Yeah. Well, oh. well, thanks for visiting Migraine Talk. Let's move on to question number five. <laughs> Kelly, left to its own devices, chocolate will have a dull sheen and it will be fairly soft. What is the name of the process that gives chocolate its shiny appearance and crisp texture? Tempering. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. Another point for Kelly who? Impressive. Very impressive. Kelly, did, did you learn that in chocolate making class? Yes, that's one of the first things you have to learn. Sometimes you sat, sit there at home with the hairdryer, like <laughs> trying to heat the chocolate up. Really? Yeah. 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 Yes, just as it. they did in the Aztec days. Right. Yes. <laughs> with their hairdryers. Kelly did very well in that round, but here now is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. There are many different types of chocolate and ways to make them, but according to the Fine Chocolate Industry Association, if you want to make dark chocolate, it should not contain any ingredients beyond five specified ones. For up to three points, name three of them. The ingredients that should not be? The the ingredients that should be the only things that can be in dark chocolate. Cacao, Mm -hmm. obviously. Sugar. Mm -hmm. uh, Lecithin. And lecithin. Okay, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. In fact, we have two. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight are the owner and manager of the first bean-to-bar chocolate shop in Los Angeles, Choco Vivo. It's Patricia Sai and Emily Walden. Patricia Sai and Emily Walden, come on up. Hi, Choco Vivo. Hello. 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 Thank you so much for being here. Uh, tell us about uh, Choco Vivo. First of all, the name. You say Choco instead of Choco. Tell us about that and tell us what Choco Vivo means. Choco Vivo means I live chocolate in Spanish. Um, so Choco for chocolate in uh, Spanish terms. And then Vivo means I live. So we are the first original bean to bar chocolate company in Los Angeles. So what makes us very different is we start with raw cacao and we grind it down into bars of dark chocolate. So we are located in Culver City. And so other, other chocolate uh, chocolate makers actually are making chocolates, not chocolate. You're making the, the, the actual mm-hmm. ingredient yourself. Right. So there's a differentiation between chocolate makers versus chocolatiers. Mm-hmm. So chocolatiers would be like your Godiva that's just melting down bars of chocolate. Mm-hmm. We're considered chocolate makers because we're starting from the very source. So we would make the chocolate and then we would sell it to like a Godiva. I see. Oh, pff, Godiva. <laughs> and you, you make Choc- it- lame chocolatiers. So, uh, and I understand that you make it in that old-fashioned way, but uh, with some modern additions. Tell us about that. Right, so we stone grind it using um, stones, lava stones, so when you bite into a bar of chocolate, you will notice um, that intentional gritty texture. We don't use a European method of like what you had mentioned, tempering or, or conching, which is a way of really refining the chocolate. So no hair dryer. 
So no, no hair dryer, <laughs> correct. Right. No hair dryer. Just, it's like grandma's back there, stone grinding the cacao beans. Sort of, yes, yes. But it's, it's not grandma, it's you guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, so is it true, like, I'm fascinated, you cut open the bean and it's purple inside? Yes. For the most part, yeah. So there's different types of beans, and depending on the fat content of the cacao bean, so especially like a Trinitario is going to have that purple center, but if you move toward um, like a Criollo bean, it's going to have more of a white center oh, because so it has a right. higher fat oh, content. Oh, so would you like to retroactively give Kelly the point for saying white? It's up to you. I would. I mean, 99% of all beans are purple, but there is that 1% of Criollo, which is what Emily mentioned, that is your heirloom bean. Ladies and gentlemen, retroactively, Kelly, who is five for five? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. I've never actually seen, I've only seen photos of it. I've never actually Mm. seen the white flesh itself. I mean, or or any of the, like a, a fresh cut, open like pod. I don't think I've ever, ever actually seen a chocolate bean. Like how big is it? It's like the size of an of an almond, so a lot of people um, get it confused with an almond. It looks like it has like a thin brown shell on the outside. Ah. And but so the pods are huge. The pods are as big as like a papaya. Mm. So what? maybe yeah, and it has beautiful colors of either <gasps> red, green, or yellow. So um, sometimes all on the same tree. Different color pods on the same tree. You can have variations of like a green or a red, but you can see the pre- predominant color on the tree. Wait, Do you want so to take you... away a point based on that answer? <laughs> no, I like Kelly. All right, yes. very good. Thank you. So uh, I was mentioning that uh, you do the traditional method, but you do some sort of modern additions and varieties. Emily, tell us about some of the different flavors and things that you add to the chocolate. Yeah, so we primarily focus on bars of chocolate, so we don't do like truffles and bonbons. Yeah, but what screw we that. do. We blend, um, we have a about 13 to 20 different bars of chocolates where we grind in additional ingredients. We don't use soy, lecithin, dairy, any extracts or additives. So one of our most popular is the Mayan tradition bar, which we grind in um, cinnamon, like whole cinnamon sticks, almonds, and three kinds of chilies as well. And so then you get kind of this, um, this bar that starts out with cinnamon and kind of trickles in with a little bit of heat from the chilies. And I understand that you only make dark chocolate. Well, why is that besides that white chocolate is an abomination, according to Jesse Thorne? So... Chocovivo is based on the purity of product. And so we, um, when I first started out, it was really understanding transparency and supply chain and, and what is chocolate. And chocolate for us is about um, keeping it as clean and as pure as you can. So dark chocolate does not typically have any milk powder inside, and we all know milk does not come in powder form. Just as Emily said, there are no other ingredients except just cacao, your whole ingredients, whether we're grinding in chilies or almonds, Mm. um, like we made a fig and almond bar, or another popular bar is apricots, pistachios, and cardamom. Oh, yes, now, please. It's really just using what Mother Nature kind of gives to us in its most whole, pure form, Mm -hmm. and incorporating it into chocolate. That sounds wonderful. So we all agree at this, on this day, that white chocolate is trash. 
Absolutely. I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you guys brought me white chocolate, I wouldn't complain. But uh, yeah, no, dark chocolate obviously is much better. Uh, so in addition to manufacturing, you have a retail store in L.A. What kind of stuff do you have at the store? And, and it's a place people can visit and order different kinds of items. Yeah. Like a store, but also more like a cafe is what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, and we do, we do a whole variety of different chocolate drinks, which you can customize with the liquid base as well as the type of chocolate. So we melt whole chocolate into our chocolate drinks, not using mm. cocoa powder. And then... Audible gas from the audience at that prospect. <laughs> and we also do a whole variety of different events throughout the year from chocolate making classes <gasps> for kids and adults to like whiskey or wine and what? or beer. We are so beer pairing. Or tequila so, pairings. Or tequila. Yeah. We love our what? tequila. Well, one of the services you offer, I saw on your website, is custom grinding that people can have anything they want ground into mm -hmm. chocolate. What are some of the things that you've done and maybe some of the more unusual things that you've ground? During the summer, we did a chocolate making class, and there was a woman that was asking many, many questions about different flavors to add in there. And at some point, um, she actually made a, a great tasting bar that we're going to make for Christmas time, and that is uh, blood oranges and <gasps> star anise. So what? it was really good. I have a lady boner. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so I can come to your shop and with any ingredient and say, I want to grind this into a bar of chocolate. Insects? Yes, we have done chapolinas. The um, blood of an ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> that is possible if you can dry it for us. Yes. You can grind it yeah. in there. Oh, she can. I've seen it. Uh, all right, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Kelly. We wanted to know, according to the Fine Chocolate Industry Association, what are three of the five ingredients they say has to be in dark chocolate and nothing else? Helen, what was the first answer that Kelly who gave us? Kelly said cacao. And ladies? That is yes. very much correct. That is correct. Cacao liquor. That's the point for Kelly. <laughs> Helen, what was the second ingredient that Kelly said? Kelly said sugar. And Emily and Patricia? Correct. Yeah, correct. Correct as well. That's another point for Kelly. And what was the third answer that Kelly gave, Helen? Kelly said lecithin. That is correct. Yes. Another perfect score. <laughs> Kelly, who with a perfect score? Jesse Thorne with a perfect score. Uh, Kelly, is there anything you'd like to ask our guests while we have them here? Can I tour your factory? Yes, you I can. So Absolutely. Yes. We, we brought some goodies for you, oh, too. Oh, we got some goodies. Excellent. And for the audience, too. You brought some for the whole audience. <laughs> By the way, I, I believe that is the loudest applause we've ever had at this show. Not 100% sure how I feel about that. Uh, thank you so much for coming. If people want to find out more about you or your uh, shop or your company, where can they go? So we have an Instagram account. Uh, Emily, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> it is Choco Vivo, so C-H-O-C-O-V-I-V-O underscore L-A. Um, we also have our website, chocovivo.com. We have all of our events posted there. And then if you want, you can come and see me after this show and sign up for our newsletter to be one of the first to know about various I want to be one of the bars. first to know. I'm in. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. It's Patricia Sai and Emily Walden from Choco Vivo. Thanks for being here. Wow. I'm going to uh, take the class and see if I can make one of those uh, Chapulines bars, hold the chocolate. Just grasshoppers, please. Just grasshoppers. <laughs> All right. Uh, Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? Ooh, it is very close. At the end of that round, Jesse Thorne has eight points and Kelly, who has nine points. Oh! What? All right. 
it all is going to come down to this. It is a time for our final round. We call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Jesse and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. This should determine the winner. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Jesse, Big Bird is a character on Sesame Street. True. Correct. Kelly, Big Bird is over five feet tall. True. Correct. Jesse, Big Bird is over seven feet tall. True. Correct. Kelly, what? Big Bird is over nine feet tall. False. Correct. That's right. He's eight feet two inches. <laughs> Jesse, Big Bird is a canary. False. Incorrect. No, he really is a canary. <laughs> Pretty Kelly, sure he's a Big Bird. Yeah. Okay. Kelly, the Big Bird costume uses canary feathers. Uh, oh, false. Correct. Jesse, the Big Bird costume uses turkey feathers. True. Correct. Kelly, those feathers come from a turkey's chest. False. Correct. Jesse, those feathers come from a turkey's butt. True. Correct. That is correct. <laughs> Kelly, Big Bird has appeared on a U.S. postage stamp. True. Correct. Jesse, when you lick Big Bird's postage stamp, you're really licking a turkey's butt. <laughs> Only metaphorically. I'm going to say false. We're not going to count that one. Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests, Jesse Thorne and Kelly Hu, while Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce a winner on tonight's episode? I am. At the end of the game, Jesse Thorne has 12 points, and Kelly Who has 14 points. Congratulations, Kelly Who. You are the facting champion. The crowd wow. favorite, if I'm being honest. Kelly, what will you do with your championship? I will eat chocolate. Yeah. Damn right. All right, that just uh, leaves us the opportunity to promote any upcoming products, appearances, or services. Jesse, what do you have to promote? Well, I own a podcast network called <laughs> MaximumFun.org. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. Any good shows on there that I uh, might know? I love a trivia game show called Go Fact Yourself. I host the Judge John Hodgman podcast with my friend John Hodgman, uh, who folks might know as a best-selling author and from The Daily Show and so on and so forth. It is a funny judge show, like Judge Judy, if Judge Judy were funny on purpose. <laughs> uh, I am the bailiff, and when we go on tour, I wear a oh. whole bailiff outfit that is exactly the same as Bull from Night Courts. Yes. <laughs> Who judged my pageant, by the way? Oh my God! He judged my you Miss met USA. The real Bull from Night Court. Yes, he gave Did me you the loss from Night Court. No. Well, one out of two is still pretty good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Jesse Thorne. <laughs> Kelly, who? Where can people find you? Um, well, they can find me. Well, I, I just finished three episodes of LA's Finest with uh, Jessica Alba and Gabrielle Union, and I, I and I have a movie coming out next year on Netflix. Even though they don't give me free Netflix anymore, <laughs> um, but I guess they paid me enough for to make up for that. It's called Finding Ohana. Also, Jude Wang directing. Yes. Yes. Who who directed our pilot? Wonderful. Yes. Well, we'll look for that. It's wonderful to have hosted you, Miss Kelly Hu. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are very, very lucky because your co-host, my hosting partner, is Ms. Helen Hong. Hi! You can find me, you can find my performance calendar at HelenHong.com and you can find me on the socials at Funny Helen Hong. She is funny, she is Helen, she is Hong, she is funny Helen Hong. Thanks so much for being here as always. 
Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leads me to thank Jesse Thorne, Kelly Hu, John Miller, Patricia Sai, and Emily Walden. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and update our wiki at gofactorwiki.fandom.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night! Like what you hear, come see us live. It's free. Go to gofactorpod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Tweedlebean did. He, she, or they said, the best trivia show. I just love it. Thanks, Tweedlebean. We love it, too. Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton. Comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to David Jenkins, Lisa Spear, Christian Malmeen, Corey J. Lack, Mitch McConaughey, Daniel Herman, Ben Lindbergh, Grant Brisby, Mike Avellanos, Carol Davis, Adam Needif, Dave Bianchi, Eric Tran, and Christine Vallada. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go eat chocolate! Except for Jesse! <laughs> Hey, everybody, it's Jake Keith. First of all, it's true what you heard in this episode. We do have a T-shirt available, and we would love for you to buy it. You can get it at maxfunstore.com. And on the next episode of Go Fact Yourself, we've got New Yorker cartoonist Charlie Hankin. The cartoon editor emeritus Robert Mankoff always used to say that the best thing you can get is an audience. Mm. So if you have a way to test out your one-liner and, and ask a friend, hey, do you think this is funny? Then you have a little a focus group with which you can take the data oh. from that and try and yeah. try and only submit art, your best art stuff. requires work? I'm afraid so. Uh, not interested. <laughs> Versus longtime reporter and author Kitty Feldy. My favorite thing was Adam Schiff, we always ask at the end of the show, what is your favorite book? Mm -hmm. So Adam Schiff not only told us his favorite book, which if you can imagine is Crime and Punishment. <laughs> <laughs> he went to the Library of Congress and got them to give him a first edition translation of Crime and Punishment. Wow. Go fact yourself every first and third Friday here at Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.